I believe when something like this, Sam, we were talking earlier today, juicy fruit, Vienna sausages, 50 cents to ride the Ferris wheel, serial killers, Tesla. All these have a lot to do, have something in common, right? It all started at noon, sharp on May the 1st. President Cleveland pressed the magic electric button. A go telegraph key. He completed electrical circuit to a gigantic steam engine nearby machinery hall. This to a booming canning. Cannon pilling bells, blowing trumpets, 20,000 flags were unfurling. Deafening roar of a quarter million people. Children were fainting. The fountains of Chicago jetted 100 feet into the air. It was the greatest and grandest day in the history of Chicago. There was other stuff going on. Women, they are allowed to be in the theater and art forms. Black women were actually allowed to speak, and most who did were optimistic. Jane Addams was there, Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Caton, Lucy Stone, Frances Willard. They had the Women's Congress meeting. There was almost 150,000 there. This was the world's... Columbian Exposition of 1893, which was also known as the World Fair. It was an atmosphere that was shocked and sorrowed because the day before it closed, Chicago's mayor was actually killed and some say it was done by the serial killer. So, that's what we're going to talk about today's podcast is, uh, oh yeah, Pokagan was there. There's some Potawatomi stuff going on too. So, sit back and Join this in this Ferris wheel of a ride of a podcast. Okay, we're going to translate everything to today. World Fair was 1893, but let's pretend it was today. You take your family to Chicago to the World Fair. You get to the gate. Each each one of you gets a different ticket, just because they got different examples of tickets. First one is Columbus. You know, he discovered America, so he gets a ticket. George Washington, well, he fought those... The Britons, so he helped the colonists, so he gets a ticket. Lincoln ended slavery, he gets a ticket. Then there's a ticket of a Native American in a headdress. And he gets a ticket to represent the savagery of what used to be the United States. Right. The savagery. But we'll keep going on. So, you take your kids through and you see the juicy fruit. Oh, wow. Gum. Vienna sausages. I mean, this is some cool stuff. There's the North Pole that's there, like an exhibit going down to Antarctica. There is the Plaisance, and that's the Carnival area. And our, our, if you hear me say Plaisance, just think Carnival. That's really what it was. Buffalo Bill was there, and the Ferris wheel was there. And the Ferris wheel at the time was 50 cents to ride the Ferris wheel. Guess what the Ferris will cost? Guess what today that'd be? Each one of us dropping down fifteen dollars to ride the Ferris wheel. And actually, now that sounds about right with the with inflation, right? I mean, come on. So we got you got your tickets. You're looking around. There's White City, and the cool thing about White City is it's all these buildings that they painted white, and it's also what was used for the inspiration for another famous city called the Emerald City from the Wizard of Oz. So this 1893 was quite a brilliant, brilliant, um, it's like the last big thing that we really had. I mean, we had light bulbs, everything that's brand new. It's like turn of the century, this is what's going on. And I had no idea what really went on about the World Fair of 1893. I just knew Pokagan did something great at it which we'll discuss later on but uh you know and i sent sam a bunch of reading material like days and days and days of reading material and sam read it sam what's your take on everything you know it's there's a lot of information to digest here i mean this was a great and the world fair was not just like a two weeks it was started in was it april and ended in october at the end of October. So it was, you know, 75% of the year right there. That was a long time. So it's right before and right after and right before the Chicago winter. Sam, what do you think about all that reading I sent you? I'm sure Tesla, I, was, I read Tesla and I thought, oh, that's the first thing Sam's going to talk about, but 
as we'll discover later on through the next two podcasts. That's right, two podcasts, because there's so much information about it. Sam grabbed a lot more than just Tesla. Sam, give me what you got, man. Well, Josh, you know my take on it is all smoke and mirrors and uh, uh, deflection and distraction and no uh no it 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 does seem to me it seems like this uh this world fair it, it it's an example of uh uh almost lost information there's a lot in this world fair that uh that is still important today it's still topical today uh of course with tesla it says that uh this uh, link here says Westinghouse AC dis distribution system supplied power to Chicago's World's Fair. Tesla AC generator in the electricity building at Chicago's World Fair in 1893. And, uh, and so that, that means that it was Tesla's AC generator that was, uh, I guess, bought by Westinghouse. And it, it powered the entire fair. Uh, I guess except for their uh, uh, their uh, political exposition that was across town in the in the other building, but uh, the things that jump out at me whenever uh, I look at this this World's Fair, this was called the Columbian Exposition of 1893, and so it was there to uh, sort of celebrate the 400th year plus one of uh, when Christopher Columbus got over here, and uh, and of course you know so they were, uh, you know it was an exposition they were showing off and that was probably one of the big themes of the day. That's why I think that uh, the inclusion of Pokagon's speech in it is uh, is important, and uh, I I wonder if it was more is one of those things that was often forgot about. But uh, there's a lot in this in this world fair, like like we were saying, uh, juicy fruit gum and Vienna sausages and things that uh, things that are still considered to be good today. Uh, that people uh, their household words and a lot of things that has been forgotten. And uh, for me personally, I, I was uh, I was impressed to see that that was the first Ferris wheel. I would have thought Ferris wheels had been around for a long time. I just thought I should add, I did a little looking, and there was an earlier wheel that was created in for the New York State Fair in 1854, made by two Erie Canal workers. I guess that one in Chicago is the first, because it's the first Ferris wheel, and uh, he's the guy, of course, that gets the credit for having invented it. The reason that's uh, relevant is because here we've got uh, Tesla powering this entire Chicago World's Fair and when you look at the scope of that World Fair it's it's so immense that it was able to power the whole thing and then uh, just a handful of years later you have uh, somebody else inventing electricity and somebody else powering the world and uh, so here we've also got the Ferris wheel often referred to as the first one because of course it's the first one named after Ferris not necessarily the first big wheel that was constructed for this purpose in an amusement park. It'd be like if I created hot dogs and called them Sam Links instead. Still be a hot dog. So what was the Midway Plaisance? It was um, supposed to be a lesson in ethnography and human development. The villages created were supposed to provide visitors with a glimpse of primitive cultures in contrast with civilization as presented in the white city. That's right. Not because it's white, man, because they painted it all white, but how convenient, right? So most visitors, however, went to the Midway not for its anthropological insights, but for entertainment, shopping, where the Ferris wheel and other attractions and concessions like the Juicy Fruit and the Vienna Sausage. Okay, Sam, now that we got that covered, let's let's go a little bit more into the Midway. I sent you a bunch of stuff on 
Pokagan and his speech in the Redman's Rebuke. And we have this recorded later on at the end of the episode as a little bonus. You know, Sam Sam took the time to read the whole Redman's Rebuke for us and record it, which is great. Definitely stick around after the episode and take a listen to it. But Sam, what's your what's your take on everything? I'll I'll give you a little uh bit of information I have, you know. Uh, here's what uh, Pokagan said. He said, My object in publishing the Red Man's Rebuke on the Bark of the White Birch Tree is I have loyalty to my own people. Out of this wonderful tree were made hats, caps, and dishes for domestic use. While our maidens tied with the knot that sealed their marriage vow, wigwams were made of it, as well as large canoes that outrode the violent storms on lake and sea. It was also used for light and fuel at our war councils and spirit dances. Originally, the shores of our northern lakes and streams were fringed with an evergreen and white charmingly contrasted with the green mirrored from the water was indeed beautiful but like the red man this tree is vanishing from our forest sam softball number two you read the red man's rebuke uh we watched a few videos on the uh midway plaisance and that's where you know like i said they had uh basically all the stuff that you never see out there so they kind of put the whole world in one place from a European point of view. And, po- and they invited Pokagan, they invited some other people who let us know their true opinion, you know. So. And one more thing. So, I'll go over this real quick. So, it is said that these Bark Bark pages, which, like I said, are at the end of the episode, they are the vessel for a fury political argument. They were written from uh, Pokagan, targeting the white American. You know, he just goes on and on in it. He argues that Europeans were initially pests and parasites to the native, as they locust-like and the carrying crows in the spring gobbled up in our ears. Give us gold, give us gold. We'll find you gold. We'll find you gold. He also talks about the evils of alcohol and tells in strong, articulate language how, again and again, their confidence was betrayed. A.K.A. broken treaties, right? Then at the end, he speculates a judgment day in which God says to the white man, and, but if you want to hear the rest of the story, like I said, stick around at the end of the recording and listen to Sam read the Red Man's Rebuke. But Sam, already lost my question, I guess, right? Let's just talk about the, uh, what's your take on it all, I guess just so vague but the uh the plaisance was definitely something very interesting i'm glad i didn't see it actually it's kind of sickening yeah i'm glad you said what you did about that this was uh an exposition of the world from the european view and of course this is in chicago north america it's not in europe and uh and so that that sort of stands out to me and and uh well what what you're asking about the uh this this midway that they had everything set up you're right it's it's somewhat disgusting and uh whenever you look at it um they had uh they had native americans and they also had african americans and they had setups that were, uh, you know, they had wigwams, and uh, I'm sure they had stumps set about so you could throw your tomahawk around or, or whatever they want. They what their goal was was so that people could come to this fair and then see everyday life among the Native American. And of course, this is at 1893, and uh, at this point. Our people have been dealing with them for 400 years, and that's just by the uh, uh, the mainstream conspiracy is what I would call it, the Columbus conspiracy. The truth is, is that Europeans were here at least 100 years before Columbus. He was uh, he was more like the first explorer to get here on behalf of the church is what I would uh, refer to Columbus as. Um, people made it over here during the Inquisition times. And uh, but then and so that, that just adds another hundred years that Pokagan's ancestors have been 
uh, dealing, not, I hate to use the term dealing with, but uh, nurturing, looking out for, um, supplying a location to sleep safely, uh, feeding, all of those things uh, are better than the word dealing with whenever it comes to accurately detailing the links that that the original inhabitants of this continent went through to keep these uh, uh, the next folks that got here alive and uh, and so you can you can you can hear in Pokagon's speech the level of resentment and uh, I guess he's fed upness he's fed up you know and uh, by this point 1893 you can uh, look through our history and you can find some pretty amazing leaders on uh, military strate strategic military leaders um, Wabansi always comes to mind and then uh, another guy that is after him, Blackhawk, who was a sock. And, uh, but Wabonsi and Blackhawk were, of course, both from the east side of the Mississippi River. And those two military leaders are the ones that, uh, uh, that caused... I guess the Eastern um, authors to have such a, I don't know, such a fear-mongering outlook towards Native Americans because they were prolific. Uh, Wabansi was a prolific warrior. He was he was terrifying. His ma his name meant he causes paleness in his enemies because they're so scared to see him coming, and. Uh, and of course, Black Hawk is a little bit more, uh, I guess you'd say, celebrated, remembered, and uh, he led a, a huge uprising in defense of the homelands, and uh, and again a little bit farther south. But some Potawatomis uh, engaged in that too, and uh, and so by this time, those two were pretty prolific in the east. But even if you look farther out west, by 1893, that's only two years removed from the massacre at Wounded Knee. Or wait, no, that was, yeah, 1891, I believe. But, uh, so it's only, it's, 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 it's still, maybe it was 1881? Anyway, better look into that one, folks. But, uh, it was right then, and, and of course... When you look into the massacre at Wounded Knee, of course, at this time it was called a battle and these guys were being celebrated. But in fact, they were the uh, leftover regulars from the 7th Cavalry. Because the way, of course, that they report the history on the Little Bighorn story is that all of Custer's men were wiped out. But the truth is, is that Custer divided his forces and this other, uh, a major Reno, took the other half and went on one end of the encampment, and then Custer took his half of his forces up on this top ridge that was all wiped out. But about half of Reno's men made it back, uh, made it back to the East Coast after that battle, the Battle of the Little Bighorn. And, uh, and of course, they were resentful. And they remained in the military, and so whenever Wounded Knee happened, the first Wounded Knee, as it's called sometimes, when that happened, they they were old folks and children, and they opened fired on them with a Gatling gun and mowed them down for no real reason. They told them to give in their guns, and, and then whenever they did, then they shot them all. So that's another relative uh, thing to today. But... Uh, and so, at this point, uh, and of course America had, or I should say the United States, had chosen to view these, these uh, massacrists at the Wounded Knee uh, incident, they called it a battle, 
then they chose to kind of make it heroes out of them. And so at this time, the Native American is still pretty looked down. And back to the state fair, get out of that history lesson there, in 1893 to display Native Americans out in their wigwam sitting on a stump throwing their tomahawk, that's a sham. Because at this point in history, America already has a lot of Native people hemmed in little reservations after lying to them. And like you said, never made good on their treaties even after that. And so, uh, and so it's, it's almost like the United States because this world's fair. When you look at the scope of it, like, man, that's a lot of money that was just put into getting it up and running. And a lot of these world fairs, they just disappear. They destroy the buildings afterwards, or so we're told. And uh, there's a lot of st of these world fairs that uh, are so interesting, and this one just is really attractive. I'm, I'm glad that you picked this as, as one of, for us to look at, uh, this particular world's fair. And... Uh, I rambled there for a while, but uh, that's kind of give you some backstory about how the United States was at the time that Pokagon gave this speech. This was at a point where uh, Native Americans had been beaten back and beaten back by a foreign invader. I mean, that's that's what we we should view it as. That's what we choose to view anybody else as nowadays, and so that's that's just how it is. And uh, I know it's I know that's not popular with a lot of people but it's it's history isn't about being popular it's about laying it on the table uh because if you don't know where you've been you damn sure don't know where you're going and uh, uh direction is is you got to watch what direction your leaders are taking you sometimes a good leader might be great at leading but if they can't show you the direction they're going, chances are either they don't know or you don't want to. And so with that background on the story, uh, what I read from Pokagon was uh, like a, a strong ability to tell it like it was. And then he goes on to make some predictions that show that by 1893, uh, this man, Simon Pokagon, was fully aware of the scope of information that the Europeans had brought over and wanted our people to learn, uh, in some ways forced. But uh, the, if you look more into Pokagon's history, Pokagon was not as aggressive as other leaders of his time. He wasn't as uh, as war-minded. He 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 he. He bent over backwards to get along and protect his people in this era of change. And so, uh, he. but you can tell by his words that he's aware, uh, especially in the realm of uh, prophecy and religion. He, To me, it appears as though he's not only gone out and uh, connected himself with the Creator, God, the, the Spirit, the one supreme spirit that rules over all of it, and uh, and and he's also taken the time to educate himself in what other people also have connected to, and what part of spirit that they have connected to. By the end of his speech, I uh, I felt a little rushed whenever I was reading it. I don't know why. Sometimes I feel whenever I'm reading, I just want to know when it. Where's the end? And, uh, but. Uh, uh, it's a it's it's a really passionate speech, and uh, if somebody out there was a speech reader that uh, did good at I don't know reading books to kids or something, they they might not want to read. Well, they probably should read that one to kids before uh, uh, before they get too far along. But uh, but something you know something that it's 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 passionate speech. And uh, like he said, he wrote it on birch bark and handed those out to a lot of the people there at the fair. And I don't recall, but I'm guessing he didn't do that at the uh, at the Midway event. Um, maybe he did. Uh, can you tell us that, Josh?
Okay, so Sam's now going to read the Red Man's Rebuke. And in the next podcast, we will talk about tequila, right? How can we not talk about tequila? And also, we will go into discussion about exactly what Pokagan did for the Red Man's Rebuke and and actually how it's on there. But I want y'all to listen to it first before we started talking about why he did what he did. Right, so Sam, go ahead. I'll turn it back over to you, bud. This is The Red Man's Rebuke, written in 1893 by Simon Pokagan, a Potawatomi chief, author, activist, and member of the Pokagan Band of Potawatomi Indians. Mr. Pokagan was a featured speaker before a crowd of 75,000 gathered to celebrate Chicago Day at the World's Columbian Exposition. Uh, the speech was also printed at his own expense as a book made out of birch bark paper and distributed to fairgoers. It was later retitled The Red Man's Greeting. So this starts by the author, Simon Pokagan. My object in publishing The Red Man's Rebuke on the Bark of the White Birch Tree is out of loyalty to my own people and gratitude to the Great Spirit who in his wisdom provided for, uh, for our use untold generations. This most remarkable tree with manifold bark used by us instead of paper being of greater value to us as it could not be injured by sun or water. Out of the bark of this wonderful tree were made hats, caps, and dishes for domestic use. While our maidens tied it with the knot that sealed their marriage vow, wigwams were made of it as well as large canoes that outrode the violent storms on lake and sea. It was also used for light and fuel at our war councils and spirit dances. Originally, the shore of our northern lakes and streams were fringed with it and evergreen, and the white charmingly contrasted with the green mirrored from the water was indeed beautiful. But like the red man, this tree is vanishing from our forests. Alas for us, our day is o'er, our fires are out from shore to shore. No more for us the wild deer bounds, the plow is on our hunting grounds. The pale man's axe rings through our woods, the pale man's sail skims o'er floods. Our pleasant springs are dry, our children look with power oppressed beyond the mountains of the west, our children go to die. Shall not one line lament our forest race, for you stuck out from wild creation's face. Freedom, the self-same freedom you adore, bade us defend our violent shore. That was a poem, I believe, by James Earl Fraser. In behalf of my people, the American Indians, I hereby declare to you, the pale-faced race that has usurped our lands and homes, that we have no spirit to celebrate with you the great Columbian fair now being held in this Chicago city, the wonder of the world. No, sooner would we hold high joy day over the graves of our departed fathers than to celebrate our own funeral the discovery of America, and while you who are strangers and who have lived here bring the offerings of the handiwork of your own lands, and your hearts and admiration rejoice over the beauty and grandeur of this young republic, and you say, Behold the wonders wrought by our children in this foreign land. Do not forget that this success has been at the sacrifice of our homes and a once happy race. Where these great Columbian show buildings stretch skyward, and where stands this queen city of the West, once stood the red man's wigwam. Here met their old men, young men, and maidens. Here blazed their council fires. But now the eagle's eye can find no trace of them. Here was the center of their widespread hunting grounds, stretched far eastward and to the great salt gulf southward and to the lofty rocky mountain chain westward, and all about and beyond the great lakes northward roamed vast herds of buffalo, 
that no man could number, while moose, deer, and elk were found from ocean to ocean. Pigeons, ducks, and geese in near bowshot moved in great clouds through the air, while fish swarmed our streams, lakes, and seas close to shore. All were provided by the Great Spirit for our use. We destroyed none except for food and use, had plenty, and we were contented and happy. But alas, the pale faces came by chance to our shores, many times very needy and hungry. We nursed and fed them, fed the ravens that were soon to pluck out their eyes, and the eyes of our children, for no sooner had the news reached the old world that a new continent had been found, people with another race of men, than locust-like, they swarmed on our coasts, and like the carrion crows in spring, that encircles wheels and clamor long and loud, and will not cease until they find and feast upon the dead. So these strangers from the east long circuits made, and turkey-like they gobbled in our ears, Give us gold, give us gold, where find you gold, where find you gold? We gave for promises and gewgaws all the gold we had, and showed them where to dig for more. To repay us, they robbed our homes of fathers, mothers, sons, and daughters. Some were forced across the sea for slaves in Spain, while multitudes were dragged into the mines to dig for gold and held in slavery there until all who escaped not died under the lash of the cruel taskmaster. It finally passed into their history that the red man of the West, unlike the black man of the East, will die before he'll be a slave. Our hearts were crushed by such base ingratitude, and as the United States has decreed, no Chinaman shall land on our shores. So we then felt that no such barbarians as they should land on ours. In those days that tried our father's souls, tradition says, a crippled, gray-haired sire told his tribe that the visions of the night he was lifted high above the earth, and in great wonder beheld a vast spider web spread out over the land from the Atlantic Ocean to the setting sun. Its network has made of rods and iron, along its lines in all directions, rushed monstrous spiders, greater in strength and larger far than any beast of earth, clad in brass and iron, dragging after them long vows of wigwams with families therein, outstripping in their course the flight of birds that fled before them. Hissing from their nostrils came forth fire and smoke, striking terror to both fowl and beast. The red men hid themselves in fear or fled away, while the white man trained these monsters for the warpath as warriors for battle. The old man who saw the visions claimed it meant that the Indian race would surely pass away before the pale-faced strangers. He died a martyr to his belief. Centuries have passed since that time, and we now behold in the vision, as in a mirror, the present network of railroads and the monstrous engines with their fire, smoke, and hissing steam, with cars attached as they go sweeping through the land. The cyclone of civilization rolled westward. The forests of untold centuries were swept away. Streams dried up. Lakes fell back from their ancient bounds. And all our fathers once loved to gaze upon was destroyed, defaced, or marred, except the sun, moon, and starry skies above, which the great spirit in his wisdom hung beyond their reach. Still on the storm cloud rolled, while before its lightning and thunder the beasts of the earth and the fowl of the air withered like grass before the flame, were shot for love of power to kill along, and left a spoil upon the plains. Their bleaching bones now scattered far and near in shame declare the wanton cruelty of the pale-faced men the storm unsatisfied on land swept our lakes and streams while before its clouds of hooks nets and glistening spears the fish vanished from our waters like the morning dew before the rising sun thus our inheritance was cut off and we were driven and scattered as sheep before the wolves nor was this all, they brought among us fatal diseases our fathers knew not of. Our medicine men tried in vain to check the deadly plague, but they themselves died, and our people fell as fall the leaves before the autumn's blast. 
To be just, we must acknowledge there were some good men with these strangers who gave their lives for ours and in great kindness taught us the revealed will of the Great Spirit through His Son Jesus, the mediator between God and man. But while we were being taught to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and strength, our neighbors as ourselves and our children were taught to lisp, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Bad men of the same race who we thought the same belief shocked our faith in the revealed will of their Father as they came among us with bitter oaths upon their lips, something we had never heard before and cups of fire water in their hands, something we had never seen before. They pressed the sparkling glass to our lips and said, Drink, and you will be happy. We drank thereof, we and our children, but alas, like the serpent that charms to kill, the drink habit coiled about the heartstrings of its victims, shocking unto death, friendship, love, honor, manhood, all that makes men good and noble, crushing out all ambition, and leaving naught but a culprit vagabond in the place of a man. Now, as we have been taught to believe that our first parents ate of the forbidden fruit and fell, so we as fully believe this fire water is the hard cider of the white man's devil, made from the fruit of that tree that brought death into the world and all our woes. The arrow, the scalping knife, and the tomahawk used on the warpath were merciful compared with it. They were used in our defense, but the accursed drink came like the serpent in the form of a dove. Many of our people partook of it without mistrust, as children pluck the flowers and clutch a scorpion in their grasp. Only when they feel the sting, they let the flowers fall. But nature's children had no such power. For when the viper's fangs they felt, they only hugged the reptile the more closely to their breasts, while friends before them stood pleading with prayers and tears that they would let the deadly serpent drop. But all in vain, although they promised so to do, yet with laughing grin and steps uncertain like the fool, they still more frequently guzzled down this hellish drug. Finally, Conscience ceased to give alarm, and led by deep despair to life's last brink, and goaded by demons on every side, they cursed themselves, they cursed their friends, they cursed their beggar babes and wives, they cursed their God, and died. Read the following, left on record by Peter Martyr, who visited our forefathers in the day of Columbia. It is certain that the land among these people is as common as the sun and water, and that thine and mine, the seed of all misery, have no place with them. They are content with so little, that in so large a country they have rather a superfluity than a scarceness, so that they seem to live in the golden world without toil living in open gardens, not entrenched with dikes, not divided with hedges, nor divided with walls. They deal truly one with another, without laws, without books, without judges. They take him for an evil and mischievous man who taketh pleasure in doing hurt to another. And albeit they delight in not in superfluities, yet they make provision for the increase of such roots whereof they make bread content with such simple diet whereof health is preserved and disease is avoided. Your own histories show that Columbus, on his first visit to our shores in a message to the king and queen of Spain, paid our forefathers this beautiful tribute. They are loving, uncovetous people, so docile in all things that I swear to your majesties there is not in the world a better race or more delightful country. They love their neighbors as themselves, and their talk is ever sweet and gentle. Accompanied with smile, and though they be naked, yet their manners are decorous and praiseworthy. But a few years passed away, and your historians left to be perused with shame the following facts. 
On the islands of the Atlantic coast and in the populous empires of Mexico and Peru, the Spaniards, through pretense of friendship and religion, gained audience with chiefs and kings, their families and attendants. They were received with great kindness and courtesy, but in return they most treacherously seized and bound in chains the unsuspecting natives, and as a ransom for their release demanded large sums of gold, which were soon given by their subjects. But instead of granting them freedom as promised, they were put to death in a most shocking manner. Their subjects were then hunted down like wild beasts with bloodhounds, robbed and enslaved, while under pretext to convert them to Christianity, the rack, the scourge, and the faggot were used. Some were burned alive in their thickets and fastnesses for refusing to work the mines as slaves. Tradition says these acts of base ingratitude were communicated from tribe to tribe throughout the continent, and that a universal wail as one voice went up from all the tribes of the unbroken wilderness. We must beat back these strangers from our shores before they seize our lands and homes, or slavery or death are ours. Reader, pause here, close your eyes, shut out from your heart all prejudice against our race, and honestly consider the above records penned by the pale-faced historians centuries ago, and tell us in the name of eternal truth, and by all that is sacred and dear to mankind, was there ever a people without the slightest reason of offense, more treacherously imprisoned and scourged than we have been? And tell us, have crime, despotism, violence, and slavery ever been dealt out in a more wicked manner to crush out life and liberty? And was ever a people more mortally offended than our forefathers were? Almighty Spirit of humanity, let thy arms of compassion embrace and shield us from the charge of treachery, vindictiveness, and cruelty, and save us from further oppression. And may the great chief of the United States appoint no more broken down or disappointed politicians as agents to deal with us, but may he select good men that are tried and true, men who fear not to do the right. This is our prayer. What would remain for us is if we were not allowed to pray, all else we acknowledge to be in the hands of this great republic. It is clear that for years after the discovery of this country, we stood before the coming strangers as a block of marble before the sculptor, ready to be shaped into a statue of grace and beauty. But in their greed for gold, the block was hacked to pieces and destroyed. Childlike we trusted in them with all our hearts, and as the young nestling while yet blind swallows each morsel given to the parent bird, so we drank in all they said. They showed us that the compass that guided them across the trackless deep, and as, it need, as its needle swung to and fro, only resting to the north, we looked upon it as a thing of life from the eternal world. We could not understand the lightning and thunder of their guns, believing they were weapons of the gods, nor could we fathom their wisdom in knowing and telling us the exact time in which the sun or moon should be darkened. Hence we looked upon them as divine. We revered them, yes, we trusted in them, as infants trust in the arms of their mothers. But again and again, as our confidence betrayed, <coughs> until we compelled to know that greed for gold was all the balance wheel they had. The remnants of the beast are now wild and keep beyond the arrow's reach. The fowls fly high in air, the fish hide themselves in deep waves. We have been driven from the homes of our childhood and from the burial places of our kindred and friends, and scattered far westward into desert places, where multitudes have died from homesickness, cold, and hunger, and are suffering and dying still for the want of food and blankets. As the hunted deer close chased all day long, when night comes on, weary and tired, lies down to rest, mourning for companions of the morning herd, all scattered, dead, and gone, 
so we through weary years have tried to find some place to safely rest, but all in vain. Our throbbing hearts unceasing say the hounds are howling on our tracks. Our sad history has been told by weeping parents to their children from generation to generation, and as the fear of the fox and the duckling is hatched, so the wrongs we have suffered are transmuted to our children, and they look upon the white man with distrust as soon as they are born. Hence our worst acts of cruelty should be viewed by all the world with Christian charity, as being but an echo of the bad treatment dealt out to us. Therefore we pray our critics everywhere to be not like the thoughtless boy who condemns the toiling bees wherever found, as vindictive and cruel, because in robbing their homes he once received the poison darts that nature gave for their defense. Our strongest defense against the onward marching hordes, we fully realize, is as useless as the struggles of a lamb born high in air, pierced to its heart in the talons of the eagle. We shall never be happy here any more. We gaze into the faces of our little ones for smiles of infancy to please, and into the faces of our young men and maiden, maidens for joys of youth to cheer advancing age. But alas, instead of smiles of joy, we find out looks of sadness there. Then we fully realize in the anguish of our souls that their young and tender hearts, in keenest sympathy with ours, have drank in the sorrows we have felt and their sad faces reflect it back to us again. No rainbow of promise spans the dark cloud of our affiliations. No cheering hopes are painted on in the midnight sky. We only stand with folded arms and watch and wait and see the future dealt with us no better than the past. No cheer of sympathy is given us. But in answer to our complaints, we are told the triumphal march of the eastern race westward is by the unaltered decree of nature, termed by them survival of the fittest. And so we stand upon the seashore, chained hand and foot, while the incoming tide of the great ocean of civilization rises slowly but surely to overwhelm us. But a few more generations and the last child of the forest will have passed into the world beyond, into that kingdom where Che Bonyubus, the great spirit, dwelleth, who loveth justice and mercy and hateth evil, who has declared the fittest in his kingdom shall be those alone that hear and aid his children when they cry, and that love him and keep his commandments. In that kingdom, many of our people in faith believe we will summon the pale-faced spirits to take position on his left, and the red spirits upon his right, and that he will say, Sons and daughters of the forest, your prayers for deliverance from the iron heels of oppression through centuries past are recorded in this book now open, before me, made from the bark of the white birch, a tree under which are for generations past you have mourned and wept. On its pages silently has been recorded your sad history. It has touched my heart with pity, and I will have compassion. Then turning to his left, he will say, Sons and daughters of the East, all hear and give heed to my words. While on earth I did great and marvelous things for you, I, ga I gave... My only Son, who declared unto you my will, and as you had freely received, to so freely give. A few of you have kept the faith, and through opposition and great tribulation have labored hard and honestly for the redemption of mankind regardless of race or color. To all such I know I now give divine power to fly on lightning throughout my universe. Now therefore listen. And when the great drum beats, let's all try their powers to fly. Only those can rise who acted well their part on earth to redeem and save the fallen. The drum will be sounded, and the innumerable multitude will appear some vast sea of wounded birds struggling to rise. We shall behold it, and shall hear their fluttering as the rumbling of an earthquake and to our surprise shall see but a scattering few in triumph rise, and shall hear their songs re-echo through the vault of heaven as they sing, 
Glory to the highest who hath redeemed and saved us. Then the great spirit will speak with a voice of thunder to the remaining shame-faced multitude. Hear ye, it is through great mercy that you have been permitted to enter these happy hunting grounds. Therefore I charge you in presence of these red men that you are guilty of having tyrannized over them in many and strange ways. I find you guilty of having made wanton wholesale butchery of their game and fish. I find you guilty of having used tobacco, a poisonous weed made only to kill parasites in plants and lice on men and beasts. You found it with the red men. You used it only in smoking the pipe of peace to confirm their contracts in place of a seal. But you multiplied its use, not only in smoking, but in chewing and snuffing, thus forming unhealthy, filthy habits, and by cigarettes, the abomination of abominations, learned little children to hunger and thirst after the father and mother of palsy and cancers. I find you guilty of tagging after the pay agents sent out by the great chief of the United States among the Indians to pay off their birthright claims to homes and liberty and native lands, and then sneaking about their agencies by deceit and trickery, cheating and robbing them of their money and goods, thus leaving them poor and naked. I also find you guilty of following the trail of Christian missionaries into the wilderness among the natives, and when they had set up my altars, and the great work of redemption had just begun, and some in faith believed, you then and there most wickedly set up the idol of Manchimanitu, and there stuck out your sign, Sample Rooms. You then dwelt out to the sons of the forest a most damnable drug, fitly termed on earth by Christian women a beverage of hell, which destroyed both body and spirit, taking therefore all their money and blankets, and scrupling not to take in pawn the Bibles given them by my servants. Therefore know ye, this much abused race shall enjoy the liberty of these happy hunting grounds, while I teach them my will, which you were in duty bound to do while on earth, but instead you blocked up the highway that led to heaven. The car of salvation might not pass over, had you done your duty, they as well as you would now be rejoicing in glory with my saints with whom you, fluttering, tried this day in vain to rise. But now I say unto you, stand back. You shall not tread upon the heels of my people, nor tyrannize over them any more. Neither shall you, with gatling gun or otherwise, disturb or break up their prayer meetings and camp any more. Neither shall you practice with weapons of lightning and thunder any more. Neither shall you use tobacco in any shape, way, or manner. Neither shall you touch, taste, handle, make, buy, or sell anything that can intoxicate any more. And know ye, ye cannot buy out the law or skulk by justice here. And if any attempt is made on your part to break these commandments, I shall forthwith grant these red men of America great power and delegate them to cast you out of paradise and hurt you headlong through, hurl you headlong through its outer gates into the endless abyss beneath, far beyond where darkness meets with light, there to dwell and thus shut you out from my presence and the presence of angels in the light of heaven forever and ever. The End Bozo! So anyways, it's been a, a long silence, right? Currently to gear up, get things rolling back out. I am going to look at getting some t-shirts made. I think we're going to go with the keyboard clan. Uh, proceeds will, if there's any, will go to probably the orphanage, Citizen Nation, House of Hope, or something like that. So, keyboard clan looks like it's a keeper. I'm kind of very fond of it myself. Although I did like the Kiss My Podcast in reference to the Kiss My Ass remarks. But, you know, that's just too much cheeky humor sometimes. 
we can uh so i'll start looking around i think that i know a couple people and you might too so just let me know or even yourself one of our listeners might be one that say hey i can make a t-shirt you know we can just throw the podcast name on there and we'll get some cool designs going but keyboard clan who knows that might be a thing get the little emoji and I am a big fan of the Kermit playing the keyboard too, so thank you for that little gif. So the podcast has been kind of taking a little slow downturn for a second. I do apologize. And that's what happens when you're uh, podcasting for a hobby. Sometimes life just comes up and just grabs, grabs all your other time. Sam's been pretty busy. I myself just, just graduated with the old master so that took up a couple weeks and I've been in the process of buying a house process of helping open up a couple cultural centers so it's been it's been a long long weeks yes that was a double plural I think oh no she asked my wife she's the she's the grammar person not me anyways we are uh We'll try to get some more information going soon. We'll be talking about Sasquatch in the near future. We'll be talking about hopefully the Bloom Festival. I'm going to reach out to that today. Uh, the next podcast I'll be coming out will actually be over the beaded, the beaded bag, the bandolier bag. You know, and they said on that a uh, bag was worth the pony actually. So it'll be very interesting. Very interesting. So what can you do to help out the podcast? Really don't need money. We're not looking for money. If you like the podcast, you enjoy listening to the podcast, let a friend know about the podcast. Someone just like you that wants to listen to the podcast. That way we can all get together and share different stuff and who knows. The podcast will really take off running. Listener support is always the greatest thing. The more listeners, the better a podcast. Last I checked, uh, 19 different countries were listening, which is cool. Get to share some of that Anishinaabe, some of that First Nations uh, information with them. And that's basically, uh, I think one time we had 2,000 listeners. It's kind of dropped. It's hard to tell now just due to the last seven weeks of non-podcasting, really. Chicago Fair was great. Sam Cedar Box was another great one, so everyone seems to enjoy that. So if I could get this podcast really going, just keep it going the right direction. I think we're making some pave in that way. I've seen that the uh, Choctaw Nation is opening up their cultural center on 24th that's not a plug for them it's just a fact of July 24th that is it looks like a pretty neat experience I think whenever you get a chance to go and try to visit other tribes and see their cultural museums see their cultural experiences and see how they're retelling their story and trying to not necessarily recreate but reshare kind of uh, rekindle the fire as to say and a lot of times you know people don't know their story they they might have been like hey my grandmother was an Indian and that's just the thought in their head like they've already had it beat out of them this is what I'm going to call colonism they've already had it beat out that they're not Indian and it's just it's just a sad place that you know, we've lost so much stuff, and you cannot truly understand unless you're in it for a day, for a month, for a year. I've seen another thing talking about homelands. What is your homeland? Is it where you're at now? Is it where your grandparents were? I'm going to say, look outside. This is your homeland. The world is your homeland. Your ancestors might have been in... Uh, Canada, they might have been in Mississippi, but 100 years before that, maybe they were in uh, 
another part of Europe. Maybe they were uh, down in Mexico, you know. So I think your homeland is where you make it. Your homeland is where you want it. It's where you want it to be. It's where you feel home. I would destined to save, you know. And you gotta, you gotta kind of also. You have your customs, you know. My grandparents went to church regularly. My parents didn't. So what will be my customs? What will be your customs? I mean, stuff like that. My, uh, I've had family in foster homes, boarding schools. Family lost down the, uh, the old Grapes of Wrath story, too. I you know, all of us are immigrants. All of us are Americans. And not that many of us are Native Americans. That's the thing, you know. And I was reading, someone said it best. They said 400 years ago, probably 500 now, four to 500 years ago, the United States was 100%, it might have been North America, was 100% Native American. Now the United States is 1%. So let those numbers, that's the, you know, think about how many generations that is. In your lifetime, in 100 years, that's, you, there might be three generations, maybe four. So in 12 generations, 15 generations, we went from 100% Native American to roughly 1% of the population. You know, that could, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean there's less Native Americans, though there is. Also means that, you know, we've had population growth, expansion, you know, the, that great thought where we just got to keep expanding westward, look for gold, and, and we're still looking for gold today, it's either black gold, regular gold, water gold, that's just the same concept as what your homeland is. What is today's gold? I'm gonna I'm gonna venture to say that's gonna be water, and that's gonna be another thing that you're gonna see venture off. And how did I far see how this podcast started? Went from one conversation about T-shirts. Now we're talking about gold being water and Ethereum cultural centers and homelands, and that's the way the podcast is gonna be, just like that. And that's the way we're gonna keep it going too. So. I hope y'all will uh, jump in soon. Uh, we'll roll out the next podcast really quickly. I'm uh, going to talk to my favorite Sasquatch expert hopefully next week. We, uh, and also next week I may try to get some uh, stuff about the balloon, a balloon festival. You know, and uh, we might actually just start breaking into the balloon festival. Might talk about the big one out, I believe it's in Santa Fe. And work out to the nice big mini me one down in Shawnee America right so I want you to go ahead and uh, take your moccasins off take your tennis shoes off just go outside and put your feet in the grass right inside is this my homeland you get stuck in that concept of what your homeland is you limited yourself to your story starting there if you say your homeland is you know everywhere then you say yes my part of my family crossed crossed over. They did the land bridge. Some of my family came up through uh, Mexico to get to Cahokia Mounds. There's so much you don't know. So I feel like sometimes we limit ourselves by saying, hey, this is our homeland. And the only exception I could really think is if you say this is where we were before we were ripped and removed then that too then I guess I just you know it's, what, it's wherever you want it to be a lot of people don't know their story before so that's why they say that's where you know where you come from and you'll see that because they don't because they don't know and it's sad it really is sad I did my family genealogy on a couple of different sides I see my family escaping from uh, Spain for centuries my grandma gave me a cool book about part of our family and dates back to like the 1400s. Uh, I did some genealogy. I can see uh, 
coming from some really cool chief lineage up in North America, up in uh, Kalamut. And I actually found some really cool information that I can't verify it with validity, but I could, we could be, uh, my family could actually be a nephew of Pontiac, which is really cool, right? So I've always considered myself three fires anyways once I figured out what the three fires was because it's just really hard to to uh, call yourself what you are by what the government wants you to be and they, that's how they classify you by treaties anyways so you're by this by treaty and I guess that's better than being by quantum right because they screw that paperwork up too I've, there's a story Sam was telling me about the guy that's eight sevenths Indian, so he's the most Indian in the world according to his quantum. So I'll let Sam tell that story next time he pops on. But yeah, Sam's out there gonna listen and go, Hey, you made a podcast without me. I'm like, Yeah, I'll just make it a quickie and then we'll wrap back around Keyboard Clan. So yeah, we'll get those t shirts, we'll get some designs going, and uh, we'll get the Facebook page active back again so just uh thanks for all your listeners and if you want to support us best way like i said is refer a friend refer a family member refer someone that's looking for something that wants to talk about culture or wants to relate or wants to tie in that's what it's all about so mama p